Okay, I'm glad you're here. Uh, by the way, uh, my, uh, my good friend uh, Yom Tov uh, Blumenthal, who lives in Spot, uh, made, made a crazy sort of a mixtape, um, which I, I don't know if I'm going to send it out at all, but if you're interested, you can, you can check it out. It's on TorahOnITunes.com, and I called it, I'm glad you're here. <laughs> and he'd been threatening for a while to take all the I'm glad you're here's at the beginning of of various talks over the years and, and uh, well they're not all there but a lot of them are there and he, he did a very creative uh, kind of humorous sort of like uh, mash tape based on that so if you want to check that out that's, that's up there now um, so, so let's jump in we, we just read uh, Parsha's Kedoshim and one of the things that I've really been uh, intrigued by and I'm going to give you the overall concept right now, and then we'll dwell in on, on one specific. But there are many specifics, and we've covered them. You know, we, we, we cover them all the time. But um, let me give you the concept. One thing that I was realizing is that, and, and I'm generalizing right now, I want to say that up front, but just to give you the, the overview. Um, it seems to me that in, in, in the academic world, or the secular world, if you will, that, that a lot of times, the more one knows in terms of the, the expansiveness of the universe and, and, and everything like that, just how big and how involved and how complicated all the various systems are, biologically, just um, atomically, just a, a, astro- astronomically. It's just, it, it, it serves to make us feel so small and insignificant that we almost write ourselves off, that we, it, it almost has a paralyzing or a debilitating effect in terms of our ability to, to feel significant, that we matter at all. By the way, I once heard in the name of the Lubavitcher Rebbe that do you know what the spiritual uh, significance of your birthday is? Is that that's your birthday, what do you celebrate on your birthday? God tells you that you matter. So I always thought that was a beautiful thought. That's what you're celebrating. I matter. God made me, right? So that's, that's a great thing. But in Torah, what's, what's so amazing is, is that as a person grows in Torah, and as they realize just how expansive and how infinite everything is, you realize that there are microcosms. And let me just explain that word for a moment, because we're going to do a, an example of it in a moment. A microcosm is where you see in one small place a map of a much larger construct. So in a miniaturized place, you see the totality of something huge. So the world is filled, the mitzvahs are filled with microcosms, where the entire universe is contained in small little places. Now, I'll give you, I'll give you an example. A human being is a microcosm of the entire world. In fact, one of the great Kabbalistic texts by the Ramak um, called um, Tamar Devora goes through what the sort of the inner essence of a person is and shows how it's a miniature of all the ten spherot and the entire universe. And just on a simple level, the Talmud calls each person a world, that if you save one person, it's like you save the entire world. So that's, that's very dramatic. So I haven't made the point yet. Here's the point, is that is that as you realize how vast the entire world is, right, you also have the opportunity to affect the entire universe with all of your interactions. 
So if I smile at someone, and I change the mood, and I change the trajectory of that person's day, through putting them in a good mood, or whatever it is, I have literally impacted the entire universe. You know, we, we went over the mitzvah of, um, of the talus, and how the four corners of the talus represent the four different worlds. And that when you bring them all together and you say Shema, you're actually universe, you're, you're, you're unifying all creation and the four corners symbolizing the four letters of Hashem's name. You're actually unifying Hashem's name and, and declaring His oneness. So again, the idea that you wear a talus and you've got the map of the entire creation on your back, literally enshrouding you, and that you can impact all of it. I mean, there, there's so many examples. But the point is, is that as you realize how giant everything is, it also empowers you because you have the ability to impact the whole in each of its parts. So that's, that's an amazing gift that God gave us with the Torah. And again, the alternative for many people is that as I realize how vast everything is, I become completely powerless and insignificant. Look how dramatically opposite this is. So just by, by just kind of going through my life and just, you know, wow, I, hi, hi, how, hi, how, you look great, you look great, how are you doing? You know, that impacts the universe, literally, literally, not, we're not exaggerating here. So, so let's zero in on a microcosm, another microcosm, um, and it's this word, we just said Parshish Kedoshim, it's this word Kedoshim. So now, what, is, what, is, what does Kedoshim mean? Now there's this beautiful commandment. God says, God says, I'm holy, and I want you to be holy. Now that in itself like, deserves just like a little bit of thought, because we're an aspect of Hashem, but we have free choice. So God says, look, I'm holy, I want you to be holy. We dwell within God, we're an aspect of God. So God wants His holiness to radiate and to just like emanate through us as well. <clears throat> but we have to use our free choice. So that's where it gets kind of tricky because we can choose to, we can choose not to, right? But anyway, so holiness, the whole world is made out of the fabric of holiness. Right? When we say kadosh, 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 Hashem Tzvakot, Melokola Aretz Kevodo, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole world is filled with His glory. We're, we're, what, what are we saying? We're saying that, that it's all like wherever we go, we're interacting with Godliness. You know, one, one of my favorite things, I know I've shared it with you, is I once imagined a conversation between two fish. Right? So one fish says to the other fish, do you believe in water? Right? So the other fish says, you know, I don't know if I believe in water. My grandfather was very religious. He believed in water. Right? So what's the joke? The joke is there's nothing but water. <laughs> That's the only thing that there is. But because it's so all-pervasive, because it saturates every aspect of existence, you can't, you can't see it. And this is the sort of like the, the, the human condition boiled down to one point. On the one hand, God is absolutely everywhere. On the other hand, He's invisible. How could it be? How could it be? But that's, this is our life. This is our life. So I once was having lunch with a friend and I was sharing with this, this with him and I asked him, where did you park your car? He said, across the street. I said, do you realize you can't walk to your car without swimming through holiness? Right? Without swimming through godliness? 
So that's what we're doing. We're, 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 we're dwelling amidst God. So, so Kedoshim, God says, I'm holy, I want you to be holy. The whole world is made out of the fabric of holiness. Alright, so now, so that means that this word Kedoshim, right, Kedoshim, holiness. By the way, you know, Karach, the one who tried to knock off Moshe, who, who made this rebellion in the desert. Korach, very amazing, interesting character. Very wise. One of the richest people who ever lived. And he was super smart. Very spiritual. But he was really funny. Because he said, he said, everybody is holy. Everybody is holy. And I want to be boss. So I was sort of like, oh, wait a second. You know, take, take one step backwards, you know. Everyone's holy. I want to run the show. Like, there's a little tension there, you know. But anyway, so... So it would make sense then that this word Kedoshim, holiness, if it's describing the essence of existence, the fabric of existence itself, would contain within it the totality of existence. It would make sense, right? Well, it does. That's the good news. So I want to zero in and I want to show you how that is. Now, before I, I, I kind of point it out, let me just raise one more question, because this is a famous question. We have a tradition that there are 600,000 letters in the Torah, and that every root soul, if you will, has a letter in the Torah, because there were 600,000 men between a certain age at Mount Sinai. There were probably approximately 2.5 million people who were there. By the way, that's one of the great proofs of the Torah, because all other major religions have one central figure who experienced they claim some fundamental history-changing truth or revelation, and then they say to their followers, trust me, right? Whereas what Hashem did was, when He made that initial revelation, He did it to two and a half million people, simultaneously. That's incredible, because what other religion, what could be more easily disprovable than saying two and a half million people saw it? Right? I mean, it's the most outrageous claim, if it weren't true, to make. Because it's the most easily debunkable. Not only that, but just to zero in just a little bit, since we're going, gearing up to Shavuos, which is the revelation of the Torah at Mount Sinai. So all these ideas are, I mean, they're always relevant, but especially since we're getting toward the holiday. If you look at the lifestyle of the Jewish people when they were in Egypt, and what it was... Days later, weeks later, there were so many fundamental shifts in what they took on that something must have happened, just on a, just on a sociological basis. For instance, I, I mean, this isn't so widely advertised. You kind of have to look in the Rashi's to see this, but Rashi brings it and, you know, it's part of our history. Incest was a, was a, was a, a societal norm even among the Jewish people in Egypt. You have, you have this idea, it says that the people were crying at their tents after they got the Torah. And Rashi says very boldly, just, just lays it out, that people understood that this, the nature of this type of relationship that, that had existed is no longer going to exist anymore. And you just think about that on a two and a half million people, and all of a sudden it's gone. That's, in other words, you know what? 
if people, and there are millions of examples, work, working on Shabbos, tons of things, what I can eat, what I can't eat, for people to make a shift like that on the spot, they have to have been really motivated. <laughs> like, really motivated. Like, how motivated? Like, I heard and saw God. That motivated. You know? I mean, because otherwise there's no way to account for such a radical shift in lifestyles on such a mass level. There's no way to account for it, as far as I'm concerned, anyway. So that's just one aspect of it. That's kind of a side aspect, but I think worth, worth, worth thinking about. So anyway, so we've got this idea of, among the certain core group, I mean, everyone got the Torah equally, but among the certain core group of men between these, these ages, there were 600,000 of them. And so, so that correlates with the 600,000 letters in the Torah. And we say these are root souls. Like what they say is like, so, so, so the women and the children and everything like that and the people outside that age group were all part of that tree, but these were sort of like the stumps of the tree and they're all branches of the tree. So it's one tree, so everyone has that share and everyone has that letter, but this is just one way of counting it. That's all. You know, it's not to exclude anyone. It's just one classification system. Okay, fine. By the way, I had an experience, um, which was I was I was in I was in Israel and I was I was doing making this little movie. I was making these little movies. You know, um, some of them are on the web. This one I called Joy. If you go on YouTube and you write type in Joy and Rebbe Nachman, you'll probably get it right. So, um, basically, I was going down to the hotel, and I, I saw this Breslover, and he was just so turned on, and he was playing this, like, techno Rebbe Nachman music, and I had never heard anything, and people were just, like, walking up to him and, like, hugging him, and this, this scene, and there's this young guy, his name was Yosef, I, I just was so taken, you know, and I, I was just staring, I was like, I gotta do something with this guy, I gotta, I gotta make a movie with him, you know. So I, I asked him if he would, you know, if I could just, like, make a movie with him the next day. And he was like, okay. So we kind of came up with a little plot and just shot it on the streets of Jerusalem. And it turned out to be a fun thing. But, um, but at the end of the experience, we really kind of bonded, you know. And he came up to me afterwards and he said to me, he said, I think that we're from the same root soul. Right? And no one had ever said that to me before or since. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought to myself, oh, huh. And I'm a lady, right? So I, I said to him, are you a lady? And he said, yeah. <laughs> and I thought, oh, well, that's kind of interesting. Now, my mother is the daughter of a Kohen. She's a, what they say, a Bas Kohen, right? And I thought to myself, should I ask him if his mother is a Bas Kohen? And then I thought, you know, we've just shared this moment. I'm about to, like, totally blow it. What do I want to do that for? So I don't say anything. And there's a beat of silence. And then he says to me, is your mother a boss Cohen? <laughs> and I was like, yeah. <laughs> and then he told me this story, right? As though that's not wild enough, right? Then he tells me this story. He said that he was with a group of people, like, in the middle of the night. And they went into the tunnels under the hotel. And they were davening by the place in the tunnels closest to the Holy of Holies. And there was a whole group of them. And then afterwards they realized, I don't know how many there were, maybe six or something like that. 
He said, afterwards we were talking and we realized we were all Levium and all of our mothers were Basquines. Which is about a trillion to one, maybe. <laughs> I don't, I'm not a computer, but there's <laughs> it's basically impossible. But there it is, you know. So, um, so anyway, so, so let's get back to this idea of, of this word Kedoshim, okay? Which is which is that we've got 600,000 root souls and each of them correlates with one of the 600,000 letters of the Torah. Now there's a problem with this. Famous problem, which is if you actually count the letters of the Torah, there aren't 600,000 letters of the Torah. So what is that? In fact, there's about half that number. So where, and the, the rabbis obviously knew that. So, so what's going on? And the answer is that many, many letters in the Torah are actually composed of multiple letters. Like, to give you one example, the letter Aleph is two Yuds and above. That's, that's one example. And now we're going to give you more examples right now. Okay? So when you actually add it up like that, you actually get to 600,000, you know? It's, 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 it's wild, actually. And some people actually want to count the white spaces between the words because, <coughs> like we've been talking about a little bit, <coughs> the Torah is black fire on white fire. And if you want to hear a talk on that, by the way, just because I really like that talk, it's on the Torah and the iTunes. I, I, I named it, I don't know how I came up with this title, it's called Black Fire on White Fire. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway, um, you can check that out. But anyway, so... So some people want to count the white fire as part of the numerical count of the letters. So it's all, there's all sorts of way out stuff. But anyway, let's get back to this word Kedoshim. So let's just reset the, the topic for one moment. So Kedoshim means holiness. And it's talking about how God is holy and he wants us to be holy. And we're talking about holiness as the fabric of existence itself. We're saying that we should see in the word Kedoshim, holiness, a map of existence. And so here it is. So let's separate this word Kedoshim. And by the way, you can spell Kedoshim with above or without above. So we're going to do it without above, which is in the text. Okay? In fact, when the Parsha begins, that's the first version of the word is, is, is uh, spelled that way. So it's Kuf Dalit Shin Yud Mem. Sophie, final Mem. Alright, so what I want to do is I want to um, take the first letter, Kuf, and this is the way that it's written. It's, I'm not, this is not my insight. I'm not seeing this in the Word. This is how there are very specific ways that you have to write the letters um, to make a, a Torah scroll kosher. And you can look them up. There, there are very detailed ways of how big they have to be and how arced they have to be and how far above or below the line they have to be. Very detailed laws. Now the letter Kuf is actually composed of two letters. The letter Chav and the letter Vav. And Chav is um, in Gematria the number 20 and Vav is the number 6. So that means the letter Kuf actually adds up to 26 which everyone knows that's a big number in Torah. That's the, the numerical equivalent of God's holiest name. The Yudke Vavke. Right? Now, if you look at the next three letters, Dalit, Shin, and Yud, if you rearrange those three letters, it spells out Shin, Dalit, Yud, which is the name of God, Shaddai. 
Now, if you take the last letter, which is the final mem, the final mem is also composed of a chaf and a vav, which is 26. Again, the name of Hashem. So you see, the entire word is made out of names of God. Now I want to go deeper, okay, and show you how there's a whole map of the creation of the universe contained in here as well. When God created the world, and this is, this is an amazing thing, because this is, um, this is anticipating the Big Bang Theory by thousands of years. What, the Big Bang Theory, you know, is basically there is a big explosion and just matter came into, just exploded into existence, and, you know, the universe starts expanding around that, right? So, what we've been saying for thousands of years is that the way God created the world was He brought one small physical point of matter into existence, and this was the foundation stone of the Holy of Holies, right? Which shows you that the very first point of existence, physical point of existence, in itself was a microcosm of the holiness of the world. Right? Because it was the foundation stone of the Holy of Holies. That's what the world is made of. That's an, that in itself is an amazing thought. In terms of microcosms, right? So, and then that single point of existence of matter expanded out until Hashem said the word, die, which means enough. And that's the root of the heavenly name Shaddai, which is talking about which is talking about God sort of like putting the parameters around the physical or material aspect of existence. Now, that's the name, if you've ever noticed, there's the letter Shin on mezuzahs. And sometimes you actually see Shin Dalit in Yud. And that's referencing this name of God. And if you think about it on just like a very practical meat and potatoes level, what is a doorpost? A doorpost is the end of this room. Right? In other words, it's like, Shaddai, enough, die, enough. Because that's, that's the point where the room ends. So it mirrors in a very sort of like, tangible way, you know, the, the, the creation. Okay. So now, now remember, there's, there's sort of like a, uh, what I think is kind of like a, a Kabbalistic joke. Right? A big joke. Here, here's, how, here's how... It's not told as a joke, by the way. <laughs> but my, my, my determination is that it's a joke. Right? And, and it goes like this. It's not meant to be funny. It's just humorous. It, <laughs> which, is, which, is which is the way that we say, mystically speaking, God created the world was. Was that God filled the world, fills the world, and He created an empty space within himself. Now, by the way, that parallels the womb of a person. Right? And, and, and God, so to speak, gave birth to the physical world inside this empty space. Okay? So, so, so what's the idea of this empty space? In other words, God created this space within himself where he wouldn't be immediately visible so that we would have free choice and wouldn't be like spiritual robots like angels. 
Okay? So, so what's, the, what's the funny part of that? <laughs> the funny part of that is, is that the, em- the, the empty space that God created within himself is filled with God. That's, okay, I'll pause for the huge giant laugh. Now. No, but just intellectually, there, the empty space is also filled with God. Because there is no place, there is no place in existence that's devoid of godliness. Okay. So, so now imagine that in your mind. The infinite stretches of godliness, right? Like sometimes we use the term or in self, light without end. Right? Imagine light without end and then amidst light without end you have the physical universe. Okay? So now let's revisit the word Kedoshim and you'll see it's exactly that. It's saying exactly that. Alright? We've got it in three parts. Remember, we split the word into three parts. We've got the letter Kuf, which is 26, which is the name of Hashem. So that's stretches of infinity on this side. And we've got the final Mem, the last letter of Kedoshim, which is also 26, which is infinite reaches of Hashem on this side. And in the middle we have the name Shindalid Yud, which is what God spoke out to put parameters around the physical aspect of the world, of creation. So we have the physical aspect of creation dwelling amidst the infinity of Hashem. And what word is it? Holiness! Because the whole world is made out of the fabric of holiness. So this is what I'm saying. This is what I'm saying. That, that, that you, a person can play a trick on themselves. They, they can think, the world is so big, I don't matter. But if you understand what the real essence, the real DNA of the world is, you understand that you're interacting with godliness wherever you go. You're accessing the whole, through the parts, constantly. You don't matter. You matter the most. You matter the most. All right, I want to I want to switch gears, and uh, there's uh, something that I've kind of been working on for a few years now, actually, and I, I had uh, some new uh, insights into it over Pesach. So it's a it's a it's a Pesach Torah, but it's 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 basically you know what I'm going to tell you what I just said in terms of kedoshim. Now I'm going to do it with matzah, okay? But it's basically a related teaching, okay? We're going to see it on the matzah level now. Okay? So one of my favorite parts of um, the Seder is uh, uh, Yachatz. It's called Yachatz. So Yachatz is the part of the Seder. You've got three matzahs. By the way, you know, the, 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 um, the Nusach, the, the tradition of the, of the Ari was... Um, to set up your Seder plate so that you had three, the three matzahs, we all do three matzahs, but you would do three matzahs inside like a, a cabinet, like a closed space. Like sometimes if you go into Jewish gift shops, you can see like ultra fancy Seder plates, right? And I just priced one yesterday. I looked in the window on the, on the walk home from Shul. They're like, they're many hundreds of dollars. But I want to make one. I, I want to I make one because I... 
They're close to live, and I'd kind of like to customize one. It would be so cool to make one of these things. Anyway, so you've got, you've got three matzahs inside of like a little cabinet, and then the Seder plate goes on top, right? So that is also a microcosm of the physical universe. Because basically, you know, Kabbalistically speaking, we, 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 we break the world down into four stratas, right? Four worlds. And, and the top part, the Seder plate, represents Atsilus, which is like the highest aspect, which is beyond, 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 beyond. No borders. Okay, that's why that's outside the cabinet. That's on top. And then inside, you've got the three masses inside the cabinet, which is already talking about Simpson which is already, it's becoming more and more contained into the physical world. So that's yet another version. And by the way, I'm going to start cataloging them because I'd like to put together a booklet or something like that where you see all of the microcosms that exist in Torah because they're all over the place. And they're so far out because you've got not only the diagram of the whole world, but you've got the history of the whole world. Like we're going to do one right now, which is going to be the history of the whole world, okay? So, so anyway... Um, so you take the middle matzah and you do something called yachatz, which is you lift it up and you break it in half. And you hold on to the smaller half and then you hide the bigger half and that's called afikomen. And then your kids find it and they bring it back and then you eat it. Alright? And it symbolizes and they say that's the last thing you eat. After that, no dessert. Right? So... So what's going on there? Well, only, only the entire history of creation <laughs> from before the world existed until after the resurrection of the dead. Okay? So let's see how that works. So before God created the world, it was just God alone. So that's the wholeness of the matzah. In other words, it's just godliness, right? And then... Kabbalistically, we say God shone his light into the vessels and the vessels shattered. And that's, that's a whole teaching in itself. I, I'd like to go into more depth into that on another time just to try to explain that um, to the best of my ability, what that means, the shattering of the vessels. But basically what that means is, is that the physical universe couldn't contain his light. Right? I mean, on some level. It's more than that, you know. But... But... And that's, that, that, that's what they say we're doing on, on, on a very deep level in terms of our lives till the perfection of the world is gathering the, the sparks that, that came from the shattering of the vessels. That's, you know, a lot of what the, sort of like on an energy level, what the mitzvahs are doing. Like we're going and we're elevating all these sparks all around. Um, by the way, I, I once heard a story that I, I liked very much, which was, I think it was a Sansa Rebbe, I'm not sure, but it was Shabbos, it was Friday night, and he was sitting in front of his piece of chicken and uh, he wasn't eating he was just kind of meditating in front of his piece of chicken right for a long time and it's sort of like you know they were like at, at a certain point he took one bite of the chicken like cut one piece of the chicken and ate it and someone asked him like you know what, what was going on and he said he was just trying to figure out where the spark was because that's, that's all he needed you know so he just found the spark within the kitchen he was within the chicken he was done you know so Anyway, um, so, so the, breaking of the, the breaking of the middle matzah, so there's God in his wholeness before the world was created, and then in terms of the creation of the world, 
That's the shattering of the vessels, that's the breaking of the matzah. Now, we're left with the smaller piece of matzah and we hide the larger piece of matzah. What does that mean? By the way, we hold up the smaller piece of matzah during the Seder, Seder and we say, this is lechem oni. This is the bread of affliction, the bread of, the, the bread of poverty. You see, there's this um, duality within matzah, which is like very striking. On the one hand, we call it the bread of freedom. And on the other hand, we call it the bread of poverty. So, make up your mind. What is it? And you'll see, you'll see it's both, but, but, but we have to understand what stage of history we're up to. So we hold on to the smaller piece of matzah, and we say, this is lechem oni, the bread of poverty. So what does that mean? That means that after God created the world, God is hidden in this world. And in fact, the word in Hebrew for world, olam, and the root of that, ayin lamid mem, which means hidden, which means God is hidden in this world. It's in the word itself. So we have the smaller piece of matzah. That's what we've been left with. In other words, we're left with this impoverished, understanding of the nature of the universe. We don't see the totality of the whole. In fact, we're left with the minority. We're left with one smaller piece of the sum total of what's actually going on beyond us. You know, it used to just be called mysticism. The idea that you can't see everything that there is with your eyes. But now all of science understands that there are things that are microscopic and, and, and on the atomic level. And there's zillions of things that we know for a fact exist that we can't see with our eye. And we don't question it. Well, it goes further than that. It goes further than that. So we have the small piece of matzah. We only see part of what there is to see. Okay. So then, what happens is our children bring back the larger piece. And that larger piece, we eat because we don't have the Korban Pesach, we don't have the Passover offering, we don't have the third base of Migdash within which to bring it, so which is the Messianic period. Okay? So, so instead we eat the larger piece of matzah. That's, that's when, that, 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 because it correlates with the third base of Migdash and the Passover offering, that represents the, the healing of the world, basically. That's the, that's the bigger part. The, that, that, that's the part when our hearts are going to become circumcised and, and the blockage that's on our sensory perception, which is blocking out our ability to fathom and comprehend the whole, is going to be removed and we're going to be elevated to another quantum level of comprehension. That's the larger piece of matzah. That gets returned to us. And then we eat that. Now, you want to hear something really wild? The dead become resurrected. That's the end game. And then we become spiritual beings, and there's no more eating. So what do we say after we eat the afikomen? No more eating, because that's going to be the end of physicality. Right? So here you have, in Yachatz, and I want to go deeper, but that's, 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 the, that's the first part, okay? So... So what we have in Yachatz, just to recap very quickly, is a whole history of the world, from before God created the world in His wholeness, to the breaking, the shattering of the vessels, to the hiding of the larger understanding of God, to its return, to eating that. Okay, fine. Now listen to this. I want to say it on another level. 
What hit me this year was the following. You see, as, as I understand the Ramban, what he said happened when we ate from the tree of knowledge was, was our minds and our hearts became separated. They became severed. Okay? You see, you can ask a question, and I think it's a really beautiful question, but there's a great answer to it, by the way. It's the Rambam's answer. How could it be that the exile of the world happened from eating from the tree of knowledge? We love knowledge. We're knowledge junkies. That's what the Jewish people are. We're knowledge junkies. How could it be that eating from the tree of knowledge resulted in anything bad. You would think God would say, run to the tree of knowledge, sit there, eat all of its fruits. By the way, we were destined to eat from the tree of knowledge. It's just that we had to eat from the tree of life first. That's that, and then so we just kind of, you know, we, we kind of messed up our whole uh, spiritual metabolism, basically. You see... It's called the Eitzadas Tov Vara, the knowledge of good and evil. Okay? Das, by the way, is a very interesting word. Das usually means to know. Like, you know, when I was in summer camp growing up, they would say, Do you know that girl? Yeah, in a biblical sense, right? Because Das is, also means an intimate relationship, a, a conjoining of two things. So when it says, the Eight Sadas Tovara, what it's talking about is not so much just the intellectual knowledge of good and evil, but there was a mixing together of good and evil, where everything became very unclear. You see, the Rambam says that eating from the tree of knowledge actually lowered our knowledge. That sounds counterintuitive. You would think, I eat from the tree of knowledge, I get smarter. But listen, our awareness beforehand was emes and sheker. It was on the level of truth and falsehood. So we had a much more comprehensive black and white sort of vision of what was going on. Then we eat from this mixture of good and evil, and everything becomes relativistic. Because what you think is right and wrong... She doesn't think is right and wrong. And he thinks something else is right and wrong. And everyone's got their own definition of what's right and what's wrong. And all of a sudden it becomes very, very muddy. It's a lower level than truth and falsehood. So, so now it's sort of like, you know, have, you know, like people go, how can it be wrong when it feels so right? Hmm. Okay, so what is that? What is that? That is a that is a separation of the mind and the heart. That's what that is, because the heart is feeling one thing, and the mind is thinking something else, and they're not working together. That's that's so. So I want to say the following: Yachatz, right? Let's get back to the matzah. Yachatz. God begins, it's just godliness. That's the wholeness of the matzah. It's just God. Then all of a sudden you have the breaking of the matzah is the eating from the tree of knowledge and it's the separation of the heart and the mind that took place. That's, that's, that's correlating, so to speak, on the human level with the shattering of the vessels. 
the breaking and the separation of the heart from the mind. And now what gets left? The bigger piece gets hidden away and we're left with just rational perception. That's lechem oni. That's the bread of poverty. Where it's sort of like, it's just, I make myself the final authority. It's just, I've got the smaller piece. It's just me. It's the smaller piece. And I'm separated from the whole. You see? Now what comes is the broader perception of godliness. And so I want to say the following thing. Who am I to say such a thing? Well, I'm going to say it anyway. Which is the idea that eating the afikomen is a fixing for eating from the etzadas, from the tree of knowledge. Because when you're ingesting the whole, what you're doing is you're correcting the perception that comes from just having had a limited understanding. Because you're ingesting the totality of existence. So now I want to show you how all of this plays out in the word machini. Okay, how you see the same thing. So, so why machini? That seems crazy and random, but let me just show you how I'm getting there. So, 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 I was thinking about this, and I thought to myself, well, wait a second, this is all going on, like, man, this is a lot of stuff going on in terms of, do you see how this relates, by the way, to, to, to Kedoshim, to the word Kedoshim? Kedoshim is the map of the whole world, and you're seeing the physical universe within the infinity of God. And what we're doing right now is showing on a matzah level the whole history of the world, right? From the shattering of the vessels to the eating of the tree of knowledge to the return of everything. So you've got, they're, they're, they're kind of partners. They're different, but you know, they're, they're, they're partner thoughts. Okay, so now let's, let's, let's just zero in this one thing. So I thought to myself, if yachatz, which is the name of the process of breaking the matzah, if yachatz is so significant, what's the gematria of yachatz? Right? So it's 108. So I looked up yachatz in my gematria book, right? I, 108 in my gematria book. Um, and, uh, and the word machini is 108. Now, machini is, is one of the coolest words in the entire Torah. And um, I've seen this attributed to the Ari and to the Zohar, the following thought, Okay? So, machini means to blot out. But there's another word that's within it, which is Noah, the waters of Noah. Alright, and if you want to see it for yourself, it's in uh, Exodus Shmos, 32-32. Chapter 32, verse 32. And you can remember it because 32 is the gematria of the word heart, so it's the heart of the heart, the inside of the inside, right? And if you have a, if you have a book in front of you, it's uh, page 500, and you'll see it's the first word on the line about uh, two-thirds of the way down. So, so we've, we've got something in, in English. In English we call it transmigration of souls. Also known as Yulgul in Hebrew, also known as reincarnation. So our tradition is that, that Noah, Noah was reincarnated into Moses. And there are many parallels between uh, Noah and Moshe. You know, for instance, you know, they both had arcs, right? Moshe, when he was a baby, he was put into a little ark and hidden, right? And also, Noah had to deal with water 
like the flood. And the astrologers prophesied that Moshe's undoing would be through water. But they both kind of triumphed in their own way, right? Like Noah survived the flood. And what did Moshe do? He split the sea. You know, there's so many parallels between them. But on a soul level, we say Noah was reincarnated into Moshe. Now, what was the problem with Noah? So, so listen to how these two situations are exactly parallel. Okay? God says to Noah, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to destroy the whole world, but I'm just going to keep you. And Noah says, all right, let's do it. What do I have to do? So a lot of people get down on Noah, by the way, that Noah didn't try to stop God. And in fact, the, the prophet Isaiah, Yeshaya, refers to the floodwaters as May Noah, the waters of Noah, because he didn't try to stop God. Now, by the way, in defense of Noah, Noah understood righteousness at that period in history to be whatever God wants. That's what it is. And didn't understand that sometimes God shows us something like poverty or injustice or war so that we can say no. Right? That's, that's God is giving us the ability to say no. And I'll get to that in a moment. But anyway, that hadn't been really revealed yet. So it wasn't really Noah's fault. But, but anyway. So the waters of the flood are called May Noah because Noah didn't stop the flood. All right. Now cut to later in history and see if this sounds familiar. The Jews worship the golden calf. And God says to Moshe, I'm going to wipe out the entire Jewish people and start over with you. Does that sound like the exact same situation? And Noah says, or Moshe says, if you do that, blot me out from your book. Wait, like I don't want any part of that. Now the word for blot me out is machini. Okay? Machini is the exact same letters as May Noah, the waters of Noah just rearranged. Now what did we just say? We just said that Noah is reincarnated into Moshe. So here we have the ultimate fixing, the ultimate rectification of the soul of Noah because he's been put in the exact same situation, and instead of saying, God, okay, you want to wipe out the world, wipe out the world, all of a sudden this new, greater version of Noah says, God, you want to wipe out? No, I won't have any part of it. Wipe me out from your book, if that's the case. The exact same letters. Me Noah, Machini, the waters of Noah, which wipe out the world, or Machini, wipe me out from your book. So that's... That's the gematria of the word yachatz, which is the breaking of the matzah. So what did we say? We said that the smaller piece is like the eitzadas, that's like the limited perception. And then the bigger piece is right the rectification of everything. It's like the tree of life, right? The bigger piece. So here we have this similar dynamic being acted out. That Yachatz is the Gematria Machini, which is that the limited piece, which is Noach saying, Yes, wipe out the world, go ahead. And then we have the rectification, the larger piece, which is, No, I'm stepping up. There's a greater evolution in Sitkis, in, in, in righteousness in the world. Standing up and saying, God, no, no, don't do that. And by the way, 
Just in case you're confused. God wanted Moshe to react that way. God didn't want to destroy the Jewish people. God wanted Moshe to say that. And in fact, the Gomorrah says this explicitly in the following way. If you look at the account of, of this, it's in Kisisa, if you want to look it up. God says, I'm going to destroy the Jewish people. And then he says, now don't try to stop me. And Moshe hadn't said anything. <laughs> so, so Moshe realized, oh, I'm supposed to stop God. Sometimes we, sometimes we talk to each other like this, and sometimes, like it's it's kind of a secret code sometimes between husbands and wives, which is, you know, you know, I'm really mad, and even if you take me out to my favorite restaurant, would you like to go to your favorite restaurant? Yes, <laughs> yes, I would, but I'm still kind of mad. <laughs> So, sometimes people tell you, you know, one of the things that I've noticed, you can do your own uh, uh, sociological experiment on your own, but I've noticed this, okay, that oftentimes people inform you of what they're doing at the moment they're doing it, but they do it in the following way, right? Like I was talking with someone yesterday, and he wanted to just explain a, a theory that he, that he had, right? Which is all well and good. Love to hear it. It was interesting. We had a nice conversation. But he opened in the following way. Now, I'm not trying to convince you of anything. And I thought, oh, he's just told me, I'm trying to convince you of something. <laughs> People will inform you. Like, it's like, they'll say, well, you know, I, I don't want to share this with you. No, I don't think this is the greatest thing in the world. But, you know, oh, okay. You kind of are wrestling with the fact that you kind of think this is the greatest thing in the world, don't you? You know, so it's just... Anyway, I'm not offering this as truth, but it, it, there does seem to be a, a, an eerie correlation that, that I've noticed, that people will tell you what they're doing in the moment, they'll just tell you they're not doing what it is that they're doing in the moment. So, anyway, that aside. Um, and and as, a, as an extension of that, um, in, in, uh, my wife told me that her sister informed her something very important in the dating world. If a guy or a girl tells you during the dating process, I'm no good for you, Believe them. <laughs> Oftentimes they'll say it in a rakish, charming way. You know? But believe them. So, um, so anyway. Um, so the point is that you see, you see the, in Yachas, this dynamic of, of a problem the smaller piece, Noah, and then the fixing, the larger piece, all within the same word. And, um, you know, sometimes people don't understand what Gamatri is. I talk about Gamatri a lot, and just on a very simple level, the, the Torah is infinite, and so it's operating on an infinite number of levels, including mathematical. And so if something has the same letters, if some word has the same letters as another word, or the same numerical equivalent, what it means is that on a spiritual level they share a similar DNA. So there's a relationship between the two things, that's all. So, so that, that's what it is. We're not playing games and we're not playing number games. So this is just part of the depths of understanding the Torah. Um, okay, so, so I guess uh, 
I guess that's the end. Have a have a good week. <laughs> <laughs>